Realty. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. The toll of the coronavirus pandemic is really starting to show itself with the people we know and love. It's felt today both here in Detroit and at the state capitol with the passing yesterday of State Representative Isaac Robinson. The Detroit Democrat was just 44 years old, and he passed away at Detroit receiving hospital just hours after experiencing breathing problems. Isaac was a vocal advocate for Detroiters and a warrior for social justice. His is the kind of loss that illustrates the devastation that's happening right now in the city of Detroit, where this disease is spreading faster than just about anywhere in the world. Here to talk about what this epidemic means for the city and to give an update to the state's response is Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, a Detroit native who knew Representative Robinson well. Garland, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you for having me on today with your listeners. So let's start with Isaac Robinson and his passing. Uh, Give me your reaction. This was tough, Stephen. My wife and I got word about Isaac's passing late last night and I mean, the word that comes to me to, to mind to describe him is he was a champion for people. Um, he always, in any situation, in any conversation, or in any debate, he fought for more for his people, the people he served in Detroit, uh, in Hamtramck, and just he was a fighter. Uh, he was funny, so he always was fighting with a smile while he had so much energy. Um, he was just a good guy. I met him several years ago. Um, his passion, you could feel it even before you walked into the room with him. Um, he will be missed by many in this community and many people around the country um, who knew him and knew his work. Uh, he was a leader of the labor movement and when he was an attorney for the Teamsters. So just he was a person who everyone um, looked to for his energy and for his insight. Um, um, so definitely want him to rest in power and, and praying and thinking of his mother, former state representative, Rosemary Robinson, who also was a fierce advocate for Detroiters in the city of Detroit. And, and this, this is tough. It shows that um, as you indicated in your open, that this is hitting closer and closer to home for more and more people as more of us know someone who has been infected, know someone who's been tested, know someone who's passed away. And, and this is why we have to take it so seriously. And this is why at the state level we've tried to take such aggressive and unprecedented action in response to this unprecedented circumstance. And we're asking folks to stay home so that they can stay safe and so we can literally save lives. Um, we know that there's going to be more people who are infected, um, and we're trying to get ahead of that by asking people to, to, to stop the way that the virus spreads most efficiently. And that is through close contact, person to person, particularly indoors. And that's what was the motivation for the stay home, uh, stay safe order. And um, we're hoping that as many people as possible will comply with it. And I want to give a big thank you to the people who are stepping up at this time, our healthcare workers, our first responders, the people who are literally keeping the lights on, keeping the electricity running, those people who are, you know, working on systems that protect and sustain life. Um, these are the people that are making it possible for the rest of us to stay home and stay safe. So uh, I want to thank them for their service in this time. So, so those of us who live here in the city of Detroit, like you do, are experiencing this in a really different way than most of the rest of the country. And as I said in the open, most of the rest of the world Talk about what is happening here in the city of Detroit and why. Why is, in your judgment, uh, Detroit having such a hard time with all of this? Well, I think uh, a few things are coming together at once, Stephen. So first of all, when I talk about the fact that the, the virus spreads 
in uh, close contact or in, in densely populated areas. Detroit's the most densely populated part of our state. And so, um, so that's been a challenge. The other piece is that the thing that is so dangerous about this virus is it can spread from person to person before a person shows symptoms. So I think, and it can also can incubate within a person for two weeks um, before it starts to show symptoms. So you may have situations where people um, even may have been passing the virus on to folks without even knowing it. That's why the social distancing practices of trying to keep space between the six feet of space between you and other people, uh, limiting unnecessary trips is so important. But one of the reasons that's tough in Detroit, and especially in sort of the the, the black communities and people of color um, communities here in the city, is because. That's how we bond. That's how we get through things that are tough. We, we, we want to get together. And mm-hmm. so we're really asking people to do things um, that are foreign to us. You know, you get together with your family for Sunday dinner. Um, people would go to church. And it's where you would talk about something that was a, a community challenge. Um, but now the best way to respond to this is to not do that. And that takes a tough toll uh, mentally and emotionally on people um, as well. And so we have to think about all those things in our comprehensive state response to what's happening in the biggest city in our state. And that's why one of the things that was unlocked that we requested with the federal disaster designation that was signed off on by the president, which we appreciate, is access to counseling services um, for the people who will have significant mental health trauma as a result of this. I mean, to give you a personal story um, that I'm thinking about, my daughter last night, um, you know, she asked my wife, will we still be able to have Christmas? I mean, my daughter's wow. six years old. Wow. So the, the kids are understanding that something out of the ordinary is happening. And so we have to wrap our arms around this. We have to be aggressive right now so we can return to some version of normalcy as quickly as possible. But that's dependent upon us not having all of our healthcare systems overwhelmed and overrun. But uh, Henry Ford is almost at capacity. Um, Boma is nearly at capacity. Um, you know, Isaac was rushed to Detroit receiving um, you know, on Sunday morning, and then he was had passed away hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to get ahead of this. We have to make sure that our first responders and medical professionals have what they need. We're pulling out all the stops and trying to get tests from every source possible because we have to ramp up testing in order to get in front of this. And we need those tests where we know all the cases are, where where the um, and where the most people live um, and have been infected. And right now, that's in the city of Detroit. You know, one of the things that uh, that I think is really important to highlight right now and certainly going forward is the difference between the population here in the city of Detroit and and other places. And when you combine things like systemic racism and systemic poverty, it is an aggravator. It is always an aggravator for anything else that happens. And so some of the head scratching that we're doing about what's happening here in Detroit uh, we don't really need to to scratch too long or to wonder too long because this is what happens when so many people are trapped by those forces. Well, absolutely. I mean, when you when you talk about if you have a wound and you pour salt on it, it hurts more, and that's what those those uh, aggravators, as you say, of systemic racism and poverty are. And that's why we tried to think about that with some of our responses, things like the action that we took to mandate the reconnection of water services for people. This has been something that folks have been talking about since the beginning of this pandemic, um, you know, before it, set, before it set foot here in Michigan, making sure that people had access to water so they could wash their hands and things like that. Um, so we put together a comprehensive approach that works, um, we believe, for the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan broadly, where no one is getting their water. 
um, shut off, but also that people are getting their water reconnected. And we had to develop very quickly a state program to help support water systems to pay for the infrastructure it would take to reconnect some people's water. For example, like in Highland Park, there were about 100 homes that were identified quickly that could not get their water reconnected because they didn't have pipes running from the street to the houses. And so we set up a state a state um, grant program that will offer these program these uh, systems $2 million on a rolling basis to be able to reconnect those water supplies as quickly as possible. So um, that water shutoff problem is a challenge that is related to poverty. That's why uh, earlier in March, we also took action in the city of Detroit specifically to help pay people's bills um, so they could keep their water on um, in advance of this. So this poverty piece is real. Um, it's why we have a poverty task force, and we were looking at this before we knew about COVID-19. And as you said, it exacerbates challenges, and that's why we have to pay special attention to it. Yeah. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Garland Gilchrist. He is the lieutenant governor of the state of Michigan. Uh, Garland, I want to change the subject here just a little and talk about the Trump administration and its response to that request for a major emergency to be declared here in Michigan. The president did finally grant that request. Talk about how much that will change in terms of the on the ground fight against this pandemic. Well, the biggest thing that the disaster declaration of any kind, especially this one does, is it releases resources from the federal government. Um, You know, we don't talk about the dollars and cents of this a lot, but it costs a tremendous amount of resources as far as money and people um, to have a comprehensive response. And so the state of Michigan needs federal support to ensure that we can be fully behind our people during this crisis. So it unlocks resources, like I said, for counseling for individuals. It unlocks resources for things like food distribution. It unlocks it, it widens the pipeline for more personal protective equipment for our first responders and those who need it. It unlocks support for our education system. Um, So it's a really comprehensive declaration in response to the public health and the economic impacts of this crisis. And so we we certainly needed that and want to make sure we put the strongest application forward. But we didn't get everything that we asked for, Stephen. Let's be really clear about that. So we're still um, working with the Trump administration to make sure we get some more things we need. One example of what we didn't get is support for individuals who will need housing, who have become housing insecure as a result of this pandemic or will need housing and will need space. And so we're still working to find federal resources to do that. And the federal money is so important, again, um, Stephen, just to be really clear, because, you know, we need this money uh, at the state level, because unlike the unlike the feds, the state does need to have a budget conversation about how we balance it. And that's going to be really hard without the maximum amount of federal support here. And so that's why these resources really matter. That's why we are working to get everything we can from the federal government. And, and hopefully this disaster declaration is a, is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it would have helped, of course, if the president had moved a little more swiftly with that. And and into the future, we need them to be way more vigilant about uh, what they're doing. I also want to ask you about uh, TCF Center here in Detroit being turned into a makeshift hospital to help treat COVID-19 patients. Uh, talk about that decision by the Army Corps of Engineers and how the state is involved. Well, when I talked about the, the reason that we are taking these unprecedented measures, the reason we're asking people to stay home and, and stay safe, because that will save lives by slowing down um, the spread of the virus and therefore not overwhelming our healthcare system. The worst case scenario is that every one of our hospitals gets overwhelmed at the same time. And we see a huge spike in cases and a huge spike in deaths and a huge spike in the need for hospital beds. 
the, the Army Corps selected the TCF Center as one of the sites to be set up as a temporary hospital uh, because that can add significant capacity, uh, certainly in, in the city of Detroit, uh, to the number of beds we would be able to, to grow to should our need um, require it. And so the state certainly is working closely with the Army Corps to identify sites like TCF all across the state of Michigan, um, frankly, that can be used uh, in, the, in the case that that happens. And so we're, we're working to make sure also that we have other resources, that we have enough personal protective equipment to handle that surge. We put in orders, not just from the federal government strategic stockpile, but from vendors all across uh, the world, frankly, to identify getting enough masks, enough ventilators, enough face shields, um, so that enough gowns so that people can have what they need in the case of that medical surge. We're thankful to the Michigan uh, manufacturers for stepping up and making more uh, things available to us. So, Stephen, it's these kinds of choices that we're looking at the state level. We have to put everything on the table. We've never confronted anything like this before. And the people of the state of Michigan, the people of the city of Detroit need us to leave no stone unturned. And part of that means, yes, using a big facility like TCF Center um, as a temporary hospital if we need to. Uh, we've been getting a lot of questions from listeners, of course, uh, throughout this pandemic and trying to to answer them as, as effectively and truthfully as we can. We've gotten a lot of questions about housing in the wake of the crisis. And Mustafa on Facebook notes that the Whitburn administration has implemented protections for renters during the pandemic, but he wants to know if the state is considering some kind of mortgage deferral program for people who are homeowners. We're seeing that happen in some other states, I believe. Governor Cuomo has done that in in New York. Uh, is that part of the work ahead for you guys? I mean, it's something that we're definitely looking at. The, the hardships that are brought upon by this virus are, are, are multifaceted. It's actually really exposing, Stephen, um, you know, frankly, just how fragile so many things in our civic life are. And so, and the things that can be unraveled due to uh, this virus and the choices that we've had to make to get ahead of this. So, yes, housing security is something that matters to me. That's why one of the things you heard me talk about earlier, because what we did not receive from the federal government was support for individuals um, and their housing needs. Um, and so we're continuing to work on that, what we can do at the state level um, to address this problem. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask you a question that I've been asking all of our listeners since this started, how are you doing? How is your family doing? And what kind of adapting are you able to, to do at this time with all the, the burden of work, of course, but also the need to stay home? I appreciate that question. And, and, and I hope that everyone is asking that of their friends and family, because you got to check in on your people um, when we're going through these unprecedented times. Uh, my wife and I are blessed. Uh, we're, we're, we're healthy. Um, our twin first graders are at home and uh, she works in the school district. And so both of our jobs have intensified during this time. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been it, it's been challenging to make sure that our kids have some form of educational experience at least once a day. Um, but that also we're able to get them outside so they can um, not go too stir crazy. Uh, we have a nine month old daughter as well um, who we're managing at home during this time. Um, but, you know, Stephen, we're, we're blessed and we're working hard and doing everything we can. My wife for uh, school children across the city of Detroit and me for the people of the city and of the state of Michigan. Um, I would say that people need to um, make sure that although you, you know, we're, we don't want you to go out and make unnecessary trips. We don't want you to have those family dinners that you normally have. 
Um, but I do want you to check in on your people, and that'll help us. You know, the human voice um, is helpful during times of crisis. And so check in on your family members, call your grandma, uh, check in on your friends, even your friends who are in other states. Mm-hmm. May have family down south or may have family um, on the East Coast or whatever. Call and check in on them to see how they're doing as well. That's how we can stay connected even while we're social distancing. I've been trying to do that with um, with my friends, my family, my counterparts in other states, and that's helped us manage. Okay. Garland Gilchrist, Lieutenant Governor of the state of Michigan. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. You stay safe uh, with you and your family and, and listeners. Everyone stay home, stay safe, and we will save lives together and get through this together. Uh, can I mention one more thing? Sure. Go ahead. So at the Michigan.gov slash coronavirus website, um, we have a link that people can click to volunteer. Um, putting out a, a strong call to action for uh, medical professionals um, and healthcare professionals who are, have capacity to volunteer to step up and help us in this crisis. People can also volunteer to safely deliver meals um, to people who are shut in. Mm-hmm. People can also volunteer to make those phone calls to check in on people. You know, one of the things we did with my kids is we made uh, cards to send to the state-run veterans facilities in Grand Rapids and in Marquette. There are things that you can do to bring light to people's lives during this time of darkness and tragedy. And so that's what we're trying to do. And people can volunteer at Michigan.gov slash coronavirus. Yeah, that's that's outstanding. Uh, thanks again for being here with us and our listeners. All right. Thank you, Stephen. A reminder now that you are joining us during WDET's spring fundraiser. And despite all of the distractions and all of the reasons that people might not be able to support this station at this time, we are remarkably close to making our goal, just a few thousand dollars away. So you should join the thousands of listeners who have already contributed and WDET will reach that spring fundraising goal. This is the last day of fundraising and everyone who gives today is going to be entered to win a grand prize package of $16,100 gift certificates to area restaurants. So imagine being able to take a gift certificate to a place like Magnet or She-Wolf or Mabel Gray, one of my favorites, Traffic Jam or the Apparatus Room. All you got to do is give for the spring fundraiser. Give what you can for the spring fundraiser, whether that's $10 or $20 or $50 or become a sustaining member at WDET.org. And as always, we love those leadership circle uh, donors who are giving uh, $1,200 a year to WDET. It's so important that we keep programming like Detroit Today and all of the other wonderful programming you hear on WDET alive. Think of how crucial this is right now as just a connector. You heard Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist talk about the power of human voice right now and that that is what binds us together. That's what we do every day right here on WDET and especially on Detroit Today. And in order to keep doing that, we have got to keep the support going. So go to WDET.org, give what you can, or call 1-800-959-9338. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what we can learn from the flu pandemic of 1918 now as we battle the coronavirus in 2020. We also want to hear from you. How are you doing during this pandemic? What are you doing and how are you getting through? Stay tuned for more Detroit Today.